What is up, everybody? It's Andrew Undum, real estate agent here in Baltimore with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast. Go ahead and subscribe. I have got a list of guests coming that are gonna really knock your socks off. If you're into real estate, sales, negotiation, marketing, leadership, wealth building, you're gonna wanna subscribe to this podcast. I can't wait to take you on the journey with me here with the Andrew Undum Podcast. Welcome back to another podcast, and today I'm with an absolute legend, an icon of the real estate industry, Joan Doctor, the president of Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, Fox and Roach Realtors. And a little bit about Fox and Roach, Joan, so they know, you know the depth of your uh, position and knowledge. Joan is the president of Fox and Roach, who has 5,500 agents, over 600 employees, 75 offices, and has consistently been the number one brokerage in the network for all of Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. She also has a lot of other prestigious roles. I know you're on the board of Bright MLS, which we'll talk about. Uh, Inman News named you one of the top 100 most influential real estate executives in the country. And just last year, you were inducted into the Riz Media Hall of Fame. So by on all accounts, this is a real estate icon. Thanks so much for coming down. And um, tell us a little bit more about yourself before we get started. Well, my pleasure, Andrew. And uh, thank you for having me. It's fun to be here. So I have been in real estate 35 years. 35. Long time. And so I'm kind of a, like Alan says, yeah. and on your podcast, he's a dinosaur. I'm a little of that. But I think the, uh, the way we sell real estate really hasn't changed over the years. Yes, we have social media and the internet and all those things, but it, it really hasn't changed that much. So how did I get into real estate? I was a teacher. Okay. And I graduated in college. When I graduated college, there weren't a lot of opportunity. Um, we could be nurses. We could be teachers. Um, there, there really weren't a lot of choices. And as much as you might have wanted to be in business, it, it, wasn't, what was, it wasn't the opportunity for us. Right. So I went into teaching, um, kind of kicking and screaming a bit. Okay. I uh, ended up... Uh, getting a master's in special education and spent the last six years of my teaching career teaching emotionally disturbed high school boys. Um, and they were nuts. Well, that's and, probably why you're good at managing real estate agents. So um, I didn't realize how much patience I had. And I also uh, learned when I was working with them that you can't put somebody in a corner. You can't push somebody into a corner. You have to let them make their own decisions, yes. which really helped a lot when we, I got into real estate. So why did I get into real estate? I, like many, I bought a house. Um, I had been single um, with two babies, got remarried, bought a house, and I had the lousiest real estate agent, um, someone who I felt really did not have my interest at heart. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, I, like a, lot of, a lot of consumers think, I can do this. I can do this. It's so easy. Little did I know. Right. Um, interestingly enough, um, it was new construction that I bought, and my next-door neighbor and I both went to real estate school at the same time. So I think we both had the same idea. Um, and from the moment I got into the business, I, I just, there was just a spark in me. There was something that I really loved. And I felt that I was finally helping people who wanted to be helped. When I was in the classroom, the kids didn't want to be there. Right. It, you know, I had to almost lock them in. And I, 
it, it was, you know, frustrating after a while that every day they came back and everything that they had learned the day before was gone because they went home to, to houses, homes that were, um, they weren't very stable. Mm-hmm. And so we started over again. And so I got tired of starting over again every day. And I got into this business. It was a great time. Very little inventory, similar to the market we just had. Mm-hmm. Um, very little inventory, lots of buyers. Uh, interest rates, by the way, at probably 12%. Right. You know? Oh, my God. So, yes, oh, my God. Um, and I felt like it was a puzzle that I had to, that I had to solve. Um, and I knew that from, I guess my background taught me that just because someone asked for something, it doesn't mean you have to give them that exact something. Right. So because there was little inventory and somebody asked me for a three bedroom, one bath house in a certain neighborhood, I'd say, let me do a wider search. And I would, we had MLS books in those days and I would sit on my carpet in my bedroom all hours of the night, just thumbing through, there's gotta be something in here that'll work. And I would find them a home, not necessarily what they asked for, but something that they really loved. And I just, that was just great. And it was, it was a lot of first time home buyers. Cause when, you know, when you start out, yeah, yeah. you're, you're working with first time home buyers and you're working with buyers more than sellers. Mm-hmm. And they really appreciated what I did for them. So it gave me gratification. Mm-hmm. And financially, um, in my first year, I made double what I had made in teaching. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. And I was rookie of the year the first year for my office. So wow. that was that was a big deal. And I had taken a leave from teaching. I didn't quit altogether because I was, you know, balancing my options. And I finally said, "All right, I've got to get off this pot, and I'm, I'm going to take this seriously, and I'm going to go all in." And that's what I did. And I guess 1986. I got in the business since 86, 1987, I was all in. And um, it's been a great career. As a teacher, I also am, um, I guess, a a lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. So I started taking the classes that you would take for um, my GRI and for my broker's license, because that's just who I am and what I did. Um, And so I had my broker's license within three years. Wow. That's as fast as you can get it, right? Yeah. That was as fast as you can get it. And, and not necessarily because I wanted to be a broker. I enjoyed this. I really enjoyed the sales, but I felt that you, you never can, it's the more, you know, the better off you are. Right. And so I continued to sell and I did that for about six or seven years when I was approached uh, by our um, CEO at the time to ask me if I wanted to manage. And he and I really didn't at that time. Right. But I'm 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 one to think that you when someone offers you something, you've got to take it really seriously because it may not come back to you again. And so I jumped off the cliff and I said, okay. Now, interestingly enough, um, it was not in the area that I sold in. Okay. It was a new area, and uh, I didn't realize how hard that would be. Because I was invisible. When when you become a, a sales leader, a sales manager, you have an office. You your job changes a little bit. Right. You have to recruit. Yep. And you have to grow your office. And this office had been decimated. And 
um, was was a, an office that only had five or six agents left in it. Some, one of the, the managers had left and taken all the agents with them. And I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I jumped in and um, I... I found that I had to hire new agents because seasoned agents didn't know who the heck I was. Right. And my agent, in fact, had to introduce me to seasoned agents. And so it took me, it takes years oh, yeah. to really develop that rapport mm -hmm. and I, and develop the relationships. And that's what this business is about. hundred percent. So, um, I hired a lot of new agents. Many of them failed as new agents do, mm -hmm. but many of them succeeded and they, and I really helped them to grow. And I've always been the kind of uh, leader that wants to help others uh, as, as much as I want to help myself. I, and uh, so I put all my energy into that, grew that office. And before I knew it, we, the company started to grow. Right. And so I had other opportunities. So it, it, it's, it's been a, a really wonderful experience um, through the years. And we can talk more about how I grew in my career and, and how I went from being a sales manager of five agents to the president of a company with 5,500. Joni, I'm not surprised about your success because you're just so warm and kind and you're the type of person people probably feel like they can just speak openly with. Like, Joan's not here to judge me. She's here to help me. And I can, I'm already picking that up. We've only met for 15 minutes and I'm like, I trust her. Aww. That's someone I trust. And it's funny you mentioned when you talk to some of the people who've been in the business um, pre-internet, you literally, there was no internet, so you're searching through MLS books to find properties. Forget GPS and driving around and getting the keys. I always said, I would never do that job. I'm out on that. 0.0% <laughs> chance would I participate. And furthermore, you said like you were all in in 1987. I was all in in 1987 too, because that's when I was born. Uh, and I know I'm not getting out alive, so we're all all in. We're all in, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, I remember driving around at night and, and you'd had to drive the check. Time is of the essence. Oh, yeah. There was no DocuSign. You had to get the agreement signed. And, you, and I would drive miles and miles and miles. And I remember thinking, um, gosh, nobody's lights in their houses are on on the first floor. They're all on the second floor. Everybody's gone to bed but me. I'm driving around, getting agreements signed, get, delivering checks. And so I think when I was approached for management, I thought, hmm, maybe I could normalize my life a little bit and not be out at 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock at night driving the turnpike, trying to deliver agreements and checks. Well, you get paid good as a sales executive. You do. But they don't really talk about, this is 24-7, 365. It is. And you better figure out how to manage yourself, your time, your family, your hobbies, because this can be consuming. Well, it's not a job. You have to love it. It's part of your life. I've always said successful real estate agents and successful leaders, it, you can't turn it off. It's your life. And you have to be passionate about it and enjoy it and not mind that the two, you know, come together and get in the way of each other. That's just the way it is. Yeah, I heard someone say, which I really believed, which is you don't get into real estate. Sometimes real estate gets into you. And if I like it gets it. in you, there's no turning it off. It's part of your identity. It's part of your, it's just who you are. Absolutely. You don't go, my husband was a dentist or, and he's retired recently, but he would come home at night and he would make a few phone calls to patients he saw that he operated on and see how they were. 
But other than that, he's done. He's done. And I'm thinking or I'm talking. And even as a sales office manager leader, agents were calling me at night. Only with their problems, by the way. Of course. <laughs> the, the higher you get in an organization, that's what you do more of. Yes, yeah, deal um, with bigger problems. Bigger problems. But I loved it because I, wa- you know, I wanted to help them and I wanted to help them grow. And I, I believe that giving back and, and, and it just helps you. Uh, it, right. you, you gain happiness that way. Yeah, too. it's not pure altruism. There's something in it for you too. Mm-hmm. There's something when you do something for somebody that they can't really pay you back for. That's the the spice of life. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally get it. So, so you were you know great agent seven years, mm-hmm. office manager. Give me the other bullet points because you ended up at the top of one of the biggest organizations at all, Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah. So, so. I was I was fortunate mm-hmm. and I worked really hard and I wasn't afraid to say no. Mm-hmm. So I took chances. Yeah. Um, the company began to grow in 1995. Um, and as it grew, I had, um, the opportunity to grow. So we merged with another company and doubled our size in 95. We, um, at that time I took on two offices and then we eventually moved into one large office and consolidated. And I know we're going to talk about consolidation a little bit later. We, so, so I was managing um, then an office with a co-manager, mm-hmm. and we had over 100 agents. So I had gone in 1993, I came with five. Now I'm in a situation with over 100. In 1997, our company uh, doubled in size again, and we merged with Fox and Lazo. Um, in, they had a lot of offices in New Jersey, so we became a multi-state broker at that time. PA in New Jersey. And Delaware. In Delaware. So they had offices in Delaware, too. And, and we had an office that, um, was in, that, that was in Pennsylvania and Delaware. It, you know, it did business in both, but we, didn't, we weren't actually in Delaware until we merged with them. That was 97. In 99, we bought Prudential Preferred Properties. Mm-hmm. And that's when we became part of the brand, Prudential brand. Right. Uh, because the, in order to buy that company, we had to. So we had been uh, pretty independent up until then, a little bit with Butter Homes and Gardens, but basically an independent brand. But we became part of the Prudential network. And um, so in 1999, we, we, we were up to over 3,000 agents. Jeez. So we've... And, and at that time, in 99, I became a regional manager, and I oversaw the um, three largest regions. Um, half the profit of the company is what my job became. And it only happened that way because along the way, in my job as a sales manager, I helped uh, bring in some small acquisitions. I, I um, what I would say, I fox roachized the people. I right. would go in, and I would show them our systems, talk about our philosophy, our culture, what have you. And I, so I helped to grow the company even when it wasn't my job to do so. And so I think that... Um, that propelled you a bit. That propelled me. And I was a little bit surprised about this next position. Um, a little nervous. But again, I don't believe in saying no. Uh, if, if, because first of all, I enjoyed being a sales manager. I wasn't right. looking to grow into anything else. And so I think if you really love your position... That's when people tap you on the shoulder, right? So I was tapped on the shoulder to do this, and um, I really loved that position. And I was, uh, I was the regional manager until 2003. 
And in 2003, um, we, I think, is that? That's all right. In 2003, we, um, the, we had many owners from all the mergers and acquisitions. Right. And um, our CEO decided that he really wanted to do a buyout and he wanted to reduce the number of owners. And so he got really busy with that deal. Right. And in order to do that, he made me general manager so that I could oversee the other regional managers and he could work on this transaction, which was a big one. Right. And um, that occurred... I don't. Ex that might have occurred by 2005. I'm not exactly sure. Right. Um, but I was general manager, and then um, in 2012, my job didn't change very much. I added a few departments, but I became the president. So that's kind of how it all happened. But never looking for it, really. Never looking for it. Just, um, I guess, I'd love the challenge. Mm -hmm. It was good to learn something new. It was good to move on and and grow. So well, you know you can't I do epic it. stuff with B players. So everyone around you saw you as an A player. Like, well, we need Joan along for the ride. So, and I always like to say, you know, in order to make an investment in your future, you have to do more than you get paid to do. And that's what you were doing. So if you know, it's a way, good, great way to put it. I hadn't no, thought of it that way. You have to do more yeah, than you're paid to do. To make an investment in your future, it's just the only. That's kind of how the world works. You're always either going to be underpaid or overpaid. You're, you know, in sales they say you get paid exactly what you're worth, which I kind of believe it. But you're either underpaid or overpaid, and it's better to be on this side of that line. And the way you get overpaid is to do more than you get paid to do over a long, consistent period of time. Right. So that's an incredible backstory. I'm sure there's there's a litany of stories in there. Oh, there are. There are ups, Boy. downs, craziness. Um, but I think what one of the, some of the questions I wrote down where I wanted to start is you're on the board of Bright MLS. Yes. Now, the agents know what that means, and that's just the MLS controls all of the data within these regions. It's weird. There's How many of them are there in the country? Like 13, 14 MLSs? Oh, my goodness, no. There's, there's hundreds, I believe. But there's like a couple really big ones. Yes, there's a couple really big ones. So that's a critical job being on the board of these MLSs because they control the data, who sees what. So for the, maybe the agents who don't fully grasp the MLS or uh, the public, it's the MLS is how Zillow gets the listings. And when you put a house in the market, if you're shopping on Redfin, Zillow, Coldwell Banker's website, anybody's website, it's because the MLS allows that to happen. Well, the MLS, however, um, goes, looks to the broker to make that decision. Right. We don't make that decision at the MLS. Um, I was part of MLS Evolved, and that was where we brought Trend MLS mm -hmm. and MRIS together. Yeah, I was MRIS yes. in Maryland. And so MRIS was about 45,000 people. Trend was about 26,000 people. Um, and we brought in some other MLSs along the way. So we're at about um, over 90,000 um, subscribers. And that's a lot of data when you think about that. Yes. Now, we had some, if, if you think back, we had some um, irregularities when we all came together because even, even CoreLogic, who is the back end, didn't know that the system could break by trying to put all this data in one place. But right. now we've got it, and we've, we've, um, it's really, really important. And we have, a, you know, when you think about the photos right. and all the uploads of photos and the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of photos that are uploaded every day. Right. Um, 
so having that data is very important. Now, Zillow could take a feed from a broker, but they prefer to take a feed from an MLS because it's a lot simpler. Right. Because they'd have to go to a lot of brokers and get a lot of feeds. But at, we as the MLS, um, you know, we, we feel like we're the true source of data. Right. The true source. The and accurate source, too. Accurate, accurate and true. And nobody else can claim that. Whether you're Zillow, whether you're Redfin, you, you know, we have it there and um it's so important for the agents to make sure that they get it uploaded and they get it right because it also helps with appraisers right, right. Who, who look at that data to decide whether or not to give a mortgage you know to allow the mortgage to be what it is um it, it's it's a really really important um source for for realtors and a, a trusted source because the, the MLS is there. The, the, the realtors are the subscribers. They're the customer of the MLS. Right. We're not the customer of Zillow. No, no. We're not the customer of Redfin. They want to sell us stuff. They want to sell us our own stuff back. Right. And so Bright um, is in the um, early stages of building a business where we can uh, get all the data and get the data from all the MLSs in the country and then we'll control our destiny. And that's really important because we left the barn door open 20 some years ago and allowed um, these portals to come into our lives. And, and they just smashed us with our own stuff. With our own stuff, right. And billions so we're, and billions. So we're paying, we pay you know, for leads on our own listings. That's so, crazy when so, you think about it, but we allowed it to happen. Now we have to be, um, you know, and then now we have... Um, the DOJ down yeah. our necks, and um, they think that you know realtors are greedy and that they charge too much. Um, we'll see where that ends up. But, um, yeah, it's, there's a lot of scary things, but I'm very optimistic—not Pollyanna optimistic—but with people like you on these boards who understand the process, who understand that there's such a quality group of professionals. Even though you know maybe the consumer or the you know the public doesn't think anyone can go get the real estate license, but yeah, that's why they all fail. This is an extremely, as Alan Dalton says, my mentor, my guy. He always says real estate's the easiest business to get into, and it's the hardest to be successful at. Absolutely, it's a ninety ten rule. Yeah. If you think about it, the, the, it used to be the eighty twenty rule, where eighty yeah. percent of the realtors were very successful. Um, now it it it's even thinned out. And there are, it's very hard to be successful in this business. And it's not rocket science. So, it, but it's, it takes, um, it, t it just takes fortitude and it, it takes persistence. It takes uh, passion. Um, and you can, you can sell a house or two. Anybody can do that. But if you really want to be successful, it's every day uh, being consistent and doing what you need to do one foot in front of the other. And there's a formula for it. Anyone, you know, could do it. Right. Not very many people want to do that. They're not willing to do it. Yeah. Because there's a heck of a sacrifice. One more thing on the MLS before we get off it, just because I'm fascinated by that whole, it's such a big conglomerate of moving pieces. What do you see happening? Do you think there will be one feed from every MLS in the country? I know they're trying to do it, but you need a lot of cooperation. There's a lot of hands in the pot there who all... No, I don't think there'll be a national MLS. No. I think um, real estate's local. Yep. I'm not sure that that's even a good thing to happen. 
Right. But I do think that we need to um, narrow the number of MLSs because you've got to be able to deliver. And if you're not big enough, you can't deliver what the consumer needs, what the agents need, what the consumer needs. And um, you're, you're doing harm to the agents. So you've got... So what do you think? Like there might be 10, 15 regional MLSs that if they yeah. cooperate, we, we could probably control our own destiny? Yeah, I, I don't know that we, we can control our own destiny because I'm not sure that the government will allow us to do that. Right. But um, I think that we will have better control over um, you know, how the business operates, so to speak. Fair enough, fair enough. So you are the president of this massive brokerage. You guys have 75 offices, and we're trying to grow our team. And, and you know we're with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services Home Sale Realty, yes, and they're generous I, I enough to provide. I love Home Sale. Yeah, great people. Shout out to Rod Messick yes. and the team. They're just really a first-class operation. I have to tell you a story about Rod. We were coming back from a meeting, and um, our plane was, we had a connection, and our plane was canceled. And Rod and his wife were nice enough to, like, bring me along with them because we were in Chicago, and it was 9 o'clock at night, and there was no plane to take us back. The, the next flight would have been two days or three days later. Oh, so they were looking into renting a car. They were looking... Well, um, his lovely wife found um, something on fr Frontier uh, the next morning to get us back to Philadelphia. And um, they included me in their little group. And, and you know, I, they, they kind of shepherded me along to the hotel and took care of me. I felt That's like, what they do at home, so they're always they're taking just, care. They're, they were just fabulous. Yeah, so they have 38 offices, I believe. We use about seven of them. But it's a constant question of, do we need these offices? Do you, what's your take on it? Because I, I feel like we do need these offices. I have a team. We have five employees and 30 agents. Like, we better have a space. Because I don't, I shouldn't say trust, but I don't believe people are going to be working from home that efficiently. And we're really big on the culture and the team environment. Right. Uh, what's your take on that as you oversee these 75 offices? Well, I think there's room for consolidation. I think there's room for reduction of space. But I do agree with you that if you have a team and you have administrative people, you need them in one spot so that right. you can work with them. Does every team member on your team need a desk? No. Right. They can share because they're not in all the time. But your staff is. And you, and you may be in and out and need your private space. But I think that there's still room to consolidate. I don't think you can get rid of office space. However, you can look at some of the virtual brokerages, and they seem to be figuring it out. I'm not exactly sure how, but I don't right. think it's ideal. Um, I do think that if you're a single agent and you have an office at home because you you're a suburban person and you have the luxury of having that office in your home, mm -hmm. you probably don't need a space. Right. But you need some shared space when you come in. I think that the broker has to find a way to bring people back into the offices uh, through interesting seminars, through, I don't know, lunches, through various gatherings, because agents are not coming into the office, and I don't think they're going to after COVID. I think they found a way to work, you know, in their car, in their home, here and there. But you lose some of the synergies that you had when yes. people came into the office. So for your team, you need those synergies. You need to keep it together and, and have your team meetings. And I believe you should have team meetings once a week. I don't know what you do, but I think, I think you need to. Um, I, so, I, so space is a funny thing. I think there's a way. I, I would prefer not to have uh, more space than we need because then we could use that, those funds 
to support agents' business in a way that would really support it. Having an empty desk, an empty space, and a barren office isn't doing a darn thing for our agents. And, and I would rather be able to do something for them and support their business and help them grow. And I think we could do that with that money. Yeah, that's a real conundrum. We'll see how it plays out this, in this post-COVID world. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you guys came over, you were part of the Prudential Network, you guys had options. Mm-hmm. And you decided to come along with the Berkshire Hathaway Home Services brand, which was new at the time. You were at the frontier of this entire brand. Why did you decide to go? Because you guys had the choices, the power. You were the biggest of the bigs at Prudential. Right. What did you see in Berkshire Hathaway Home Services that said, all right, let's, let's roll with them? Well, Berkshire Hathaway, before it, it was not a known real estate brand. No. But it was a known brand. In a, in, in some, Warren Buffett was a known brand. Uh, Berkshire sure. Hathaway was a B2B brand. It wasn't known to the public. Right. We had faith in the integrity and uh, the trustworthiness and the longevity of Warren Buffett and his companies that he could do something with Berkshire Hathaway and make it a known brand. And I think Warren Buffett felt that if you took the Berkshire Hathaway brand and you stuck it in the lawn of all these listings, the brand would come to be known pretty quickly. And it was. Within three months, it was the most known brand in real estate. That's incredible. So, so, you know, think about it. Many other brands are just real estate. That's all they are. Right. But Berkshire Hathaway had many companies, whether it's um, the, the candy, Seize Candy, oh, you yeah. know, and, and, you, and there's just so many companies. So many. Geico, Dairy yes. Queen, Fruit yeah. of the Loom. Right. So uh, there's trust in a lot of that. And we just felt, and we, um, I think rightly so, that if you're going to tie your, 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 your company to anyone... Warren Buffett would be the person. It's he, not a bad an, bet. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't a bad bet. So, um, and we were right. We saw in the first few months people get listings because of Berkshire Hathaway's name, believe it or not. I believe and that, it. And that was just surprising to us because we were, you know, there was a little skepticism in the beginning, but it, it worked out perfectly. And I think our, our values aligned so well with that brand. Well, you guys really led the charge, because, and you still are the biggest operator of a Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, yes. Fox and Roach. I see you guys every year at the convention. It's like seven years in a row, number one, number one, number one, number yeah. one. And now I'm going to say, I know the president of that company pretty well. Her name's Joan. Very nice. She used to be a teacher, by the way. <laughs> so, you know, Alan Dalton, um, who I just love, I've had a... Alan, I love you. He's helped me so much. Who's the senior VP at Berkshire Hathaway Alan's Home Services. Great. Alan connected us. Alan and I were on a train and Alan said, you've got to meet Andrew. You've just got to meet Andrew. He's, he's an agent that, that will really be, um, is number one already and will continue to grow. Yeah, we're trying to be the number one team at, at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. We're four right now, number four, but we're coming. We're coming for number one. And he, he said, Joan's got this brilliant leadership academy that you, I guess you've developed within Fox and Roach. And it's probably one of the reasons you guys are so successful again and again and again and again. Tell us a little bit about the leadership academy and your role in right. creating it. So um, I, uh, uh, you know, there's always, it, 
strong leadership is there's never enough of it. Right. Never enough of it. And, and so way back when it must be over 15 years ago, um, it was hard to find good leadership. And I thought, you know, we should develop it ourselves. And, uh, honestly, um, I'm friends with Candace Adams, who I know. Um, oh, yeah. He, yeah. Alan mentions a lot. And she had um, some sort of a leadership uh, academy going. So I talked to her. And we didn't uh, do exactly what she was doing, but we developed a program where we would um, invite uh, regional managers to invite agents who m might um, benefit from the program into our leadership academy. Now, it wasn't called a manager's program for a good reason. It wasn't right. about becoming a manager. Maybe it would be, maybe it wouldn't be. But I wanted to make sure that I gave teams the ability to, to be able to lead their team better, agents the ability to work with their clients in a, a more professional way, and potentially, you know, um, there, there would be sales leaders that I could hire. Sure. And so we put it together and we, we do, um, we basically did a history of the company and then we talked about leadership versus management. And that was a whole session. We do a, a session on, um, you know, various personality types and how to work with various personality types. Mm -hmm. And that really helps all agents, right? What, sure. you know, whether uh, to realize that you can't talk to an engineer the way you, you, you talk to somebody who's, you know, just an amiable easygoing person. Right. And we do, um, sessions on interviews, you know, how would you interview a buyer or seller or a recruit if you're recruiting? And, uh, we do, um, a whole session on the financial services part of our business because we are a home services company yeah. and we, um, rely on our mortgage and our title, um, as, as much as our brokerage, it's about a third, a third and a third of our revenues. And the reason we can do all the programs that we do for our agents is because we get revenues from those other services. So right. they're really important to us. So we, we do have a session on that and we have experts come in. We have um, recruiters come in and talk about recruiting questions so that if you're a team leader or you want to learn more how to bring agents onto your team, you have that session. We have sales managers come in and talk about their everyday job because you might think you want to be one. You really need to know what it's all about. And um, any other, um, you know, just lots of discussion, lots of back and forth, lots of ideas. Um, we, you know, it, it's really, uh, um, you know, it's not a fancy class. It's not about social media. That That's another place for that. But that's kind of what we do. people there. Yeah. yeah. It's really about relationships. And this whole business is about relationships, no matter what part of the business you're in. 100%. And I remember as a new agent, I thought if I knew it all and I was the most professional and I had the most professional presentation, I would get that listing. Well, guess what? I didn't always get that listing yeah. because I didn't build enough rapport. And so we, we really harp on how important that is and keeping in touch. So many agents um, don't keep in touch after, after closing. They don't keep in touch. They get busy. And I understand why they don't. But boy, that's your gold. Mine it for goodness sakes. That's so, the gold mine. Yeah. Well, that's why Alan always hates the term past clients versus a forever client because we're yes. forever agents we're at for, Berkshire Hathaway. Yes. He would say 
past clients, that infers you're their past agent. If you call That's someone right. your past client, you probably are their past agent. You yeah. won't be their agent it's again. It's crazy. It's crazy. So stay in touch because you built, you built that relationship. I know that you know when you're working with someone and you're working with them maybe not in the last few years um, for a couple months, but in the past you'd work for a couple months sure. to, to close the deal. You become pretty close with that person. Yeah. And you build a nice relationship, a nice rapport. Keep it going. That, that, that's your source of referrals. It's your source of future business. It's, it's, it's all one big, you know, it, it's all circular, right? It's all circular because people don't buy just one house and done. Yeah, if you do your job right, you're going to sell their f friends, their family. Yeah. Each person's probably a tree of 20 to 30 yeah. people. And I just, I got really lucky that I was... I was in new home sales and then I was kind of involved with the sales consulting firm on my days off. So I was getting like double dosed with sales stuff um, early on before I was in the resale brokerage community. Oh. And it's shocking to me um, how little emphasis most agents put on the sales 101 basics. Like in this industry, they teach you the contract and here's how to show a house and here's what it's like to be a realtor. But you know what your license says? It says real estate salesperson. And they don't really teach, they teach you the real estate part, but they don't really teach you the salesperson no. part, no. which is why that leadership academy is so great. Yeah. So if you could sum up in a couple sentences, what is the difference between leadership and management? I want to hear Joan Doctor's take on that. Well, if you're a leader, you have followers. People follow you. If you're managing, generally you're managing items, you're managing um, agreements, you're managing, it, it doesn't mean like that- metrics and stuff? Yes, it could, could be. And- you're not leading. Leading is, um, you know, inspiring people, uh, having people want to do more because they met you and they know you and, and you, you, you help them to, to believe in themselves. So I think you, you have followers because you support those, you know, coming up behind you or who, who you're leading. That's I, a great I, answer. I think, I think that's a big, dif a big difference. Now, Alan has said to me that management, you know, we, we often ignore management. There is some management in the job. You can't just lead. You do have to manage. Yeah. And, you can't and, inspire everyone. And then there's a fire behind you. It's like, ah, whatever. <laughs> right. We're not making any money, but we're doing, it's going to be great. Right. That doesn't right. work either. Right. 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 So. Well, I feel like as I've developed it, I'm more of a, I kind of lean towards the leadership route more than the management. Oh, I can tell. Right. I can tell. <laughs> more than the management route. Cause I'm not, I don't like to get bogged down in the paperwork and the details. I'm like, if I just keep going over here, this stuff will take care of itself. Well, if you have the right administrative people and I you have, have the, the right, the right managers for your team. I've been so fortunate to have quality employees, quality people that we have the right people in the right seats on the bus. And now as we're trying to double our goal, Joan, is to get to 1,000 units as a team. Yay. And, um, Love it. We're about halfway there. We've been kind of hovering. This was a year, weird year, and 2023 might be a weird year too, but we are increasing. I think a lot of people maybe decrease, but we increase this year. Well, I expect you will. And do you know what? Many agents have their best years in a year that's not as frenetic and crazy as, right. as, a, as another. And sometimes in down years. And why? Because you're there. Because you don't, you don't stop. You don't say, woe is me. I just, did, I just published my blog post on perspective. It's your perspective. You can grow your business in a down market. Of course. If you, if you stick to the basics and you, you, you don't get out of the business. 
A lot of agents get out of the business when the business decreases. Just take market share from others. That's the game. As Warren Buffett would say, when the tide goes out, we find out who's been swimming naked. Yes, you do. So we got good bathing suits on, <laughs> and people know we're going to be here. And it's so funny. I emailed Gino, who's the chairman of Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. Great guy, brilliant yes, he is. guy, the Gino's ultimate terrific execution master. He just gets stuff done. And I said, Gino, you know, if you were me, I'm trying to get to a thousand units. Just give me any advice you could give me. And he sent a one-sentence email back, and it was kind of profound. He said, "Well, you should probably." stick with the fundamentals and just get back to the basics, period, send. And I'm like, you know what? That's all I needed to hear. And, he, and Gino is so disciplined. He is so disciplined um, in his life and in his work. And uh, he, he, um, I met him many years ago when I was trying to actually reduce the size of our offices. And I knew he had a small office in California at Intero, and I went out to see it. But he had... His, he was structured then. He knew exactly where he was going and how he was going to get there. And he put one foot in front of the other every day. And he's done amazingly. Yeah, look at him now. I like that line he said at Intero. He said, well, two-thirds of the world is covered by water. The other third's going to be covered by Intero. Love it. That, was line. <laughs> I was like, that guy sounds pretty confident. So... I want to know your philosophy on teams. I know, you know, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services doesn't have as many teams as some of these other brokerages. They're more, um, they're agent-centric, but they're also broker-centric. They support the brokers, and there's incredible value in the, in the having a powerful, centralized brokerage model like we have at Homesale. I didn't even know the benefits until I started feeling them and seeing them and being part of something much bigger than myself or my team will ever be. Um, where do you see teams going, and what's your kind of, philosophy on teams. Do you encourage people to start teams, join teams? Yeah, half of our agents are on a team or run a team. So at, Fox and Roach is at Fox and Roach, lots of teams. Lots of teams. And we have, um, put, we have supported teams, gosh, since 2000. When before we, teams were really a thing. Before they were really a thing. We, um, we believed then, and I believe now, that for the consumer, it's good for the consumer because they have a team of people to help them. Right. Because it's very hard as an individual agent to be there 24-7 for your, your clients. And, and so you, if you don't have administrative people or you don't have support people to back you up, it's hard. Um, I think teams, and, and not that I think it, it it's true that teams have uh, proven to, to be where the business is going right? for, I think, many of those reasons. And the other thing that I think um, with teams is that the team leaders tend to be business-like people, very business-oriented. Agents tend to be sales-oriented. But when you have a team leader who's business-oriented, he can take the salespeople and really grow and, and run with it. And I... I we are very supportive. I believe in teams. I think that's the way, I, I used to say that's the way of the future, but that is the way it is. Right. And teams are leading in this business. Um, yes, there are some individual agents who do really well, and not everybody wants to be part of a team. I mean, I've had people say to me, I don't need all that, those people to oversee, because it's a lot, you're, you, a lot you, you, be, you become, you're not only an agent then, you're a, you're a leader, you're a manager, you're you know, a babysitter, you're a trainer, you're everything when you have people that are fall under your team. And not everybody wants that. And so they're satisfied doing less business and not having, you know, that as part of their life. 
but if you want to grow and you want and you see, and you, you you like to help people and you're you you um, aspire to a certain level, I think teams are the way to go. And I think uh, brokers who who really understand the business uh, support teams. I don't yeah. I don't see how you couldn't today. I've always felt very supported by the team situation. I feel like a lot of people want to have teams and they like the idea of teams and they, they realize, do the work. oh boy, you better have weekly meetings. You got to be prepared for them. You have to be dialed in with your lead generation and marketing and the efficiencies of who's going to call the leads right. and how are we going to service the leads? And then what about the ancillary services and who are your partners going to be? And there's so many, not real estate issues, but they're business issues, right. like you were saying. A lot of people want to just gather a group of agents together so that they can have more volume. That's not what a team is about. We call that an illegitimate team. Yes. A, a team leader supports agents and helps them do more business, helps them grow to be what they wouldn't be on their own. Right. And as a team leader, um, you and your systems are so, so important. What benefit does an agent have of being on your team versus being on their own? What benefit do they have of being on your team versus another team? What, right. what is it that it, it's the same as a brokerage? Right. Really, yeah. it's it's the same philosophy as a brokerage. Like, what does uh, Berkshire Hathaway, Fox and Roach, or Home Sale do for agents that they couldn't get somewhere else? Why is it better to be here? Is it your culture? Is it the all the um, assistance that you give them? Um, I know team leaders who have administrative people that their agents don't have to make their own appointments, or they don't have right. to do their own contracts, or you know that's. Not necessarily what you have to do as a team leader, but that's a benefit that agents might see and want to join you. Um, yeah, you have to have a litany of value-added services. And if you're not very clear and very confident on what your value proposition is as a brokerage or team leader, how would anyone else be? Absolutely. So you better be crystal clear on what you're doing, why you're doing it, how you're doing it. And um, I feel like our brand at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services has some of the best operators particularly at the brokerage level, who these team leaders can really learn from. Yes, because your business is not that different. The other thing I would say to you is you have to hire people who have the same philosophy, yeah. same ethics, you know, because if you ha end up with a, a, a split culture, there's going to be, there's going to be an issue. It, it's not going to work. And one other thing is when you're starting out a team and you're just starting if your strength is this, then hire somebody whose strength is something else. Right. Don't hire people just like yourself. Because it's you, hard to do. Because you want, you like people like yourself. Yes. It doesn't work. Yes. You, you, need, you need to balance it. Yeah, it's an ever-evolving puzzle that we're, we're here trying to solve at the, at the Sure Group in Baltimore. But we're, luckily, I've been surrounded by people who, who give great insight and guidance. And what I finally learned at 35 is I don't have to do everything tomorrow. Why don't I just do one thing and then implement that and get it right? And then I'll do the next thing. I already, I, I could tell you 30 things we want to do and they're all important and they're all move the needle. I can't do 30 things this week no. or this, probably this Nor quarter. Nor should you. Nor should you. But I can do one. That's would one foot in front of the other. And it's been, once I've adopted that philosophy, I look back at the end of the year and said, man, we did a lot that year mm -hmm. because we just one at a time mm -hmm. and you start knocking them down. I like, it's just clarity. that's a great attitude. And like Mark Stark helped me with that a bit when I saw him in Omaha, his whole philosophy on it. I was like, that... He's terrific. And a lot of people like yourself and Mark and, and Alan, my God, people don't realize 
This guy was doing billions in the 80s. If social media was around like it is today in 1980s, he would have been Mark is on great. every TV show. I'm talking about Alan. Well, Mark too, but yeah. like Alan. Alan, yeah. He's running, running the show at Better Homes and Gardens with swagger. That Boston accent, just take no prisoners. <laughs> like I align with him because he's like, he's aggressive. He and is. I like aggressive. He and is. I think consumers want their agent to be a little, they have to have a little fight in them. When it comes oh, down to it, well, sure they want them. They want to know that when push comes to shove, they're going to negotiate in their favor. Of you can't be a pushover. God no, you'll get eaten alive out here. That's my little joke on Redfin agents. I say you want. To, I love red talking with Redfin agents because I call them indoor cats. <laughs> oh, they couldn't survive out here, so they're indoor. They get fed by Redfin. Just pray to God we get to negotiate with the Redfin agents. We're going to clobber them. Makes and I'm sense. Only saying that, not because I'm mean or trying to take advantage. I'm doing how to do what's right for my client. Absolutely. Whatever it takes. Absolutely. We're not here to be the nice guy. I mean, yes, I believe in cooperation and I think cooperating with other realtors is what we have to do. Of course. Because rarely do we sell our own stuff, um, you know, in a normal market, maybe in the market we've had, we, we could do that. But in a normal market, you need the other brokers. So we've got to cooperate, but you've got to be strong and you've got to support, um, your client. That's who you really work for. Yeah. I always say what a, what a good agent does on either side of the deal is kind of coach the other agent on how to present their deal to their client. Mm-hmm. So like one of the best skills of a good listing agent is that listing agent needs to be able to coach that buyer's agent on how to present our counter to the buyer and vice mm-hmm. versa. Mm-hmm. And what Alan always says, which is great is, Hey, um, I actually cooperate with other agents, but your home doesn't cooperate with other homes. So when, he, when he's going on the customized home marketing proposal yes. that we spend a lot of time on, he's got so many insights that right. I've been in the industry for 13 years. And after hearing him talk, I said, I've never heard of that, never heard of that, never heard of that. And he goes, I've been doing this for 30 years. Um, so anyway, I'm going to ask you one more question. And then okay. we probably have to do a part two because there's endless, All right. endless um, stories that I would like to get into, but I'm just getting to know you. So I can't go too invasive yet. All right. Well, that's good. Um, but it's on the topic of disruption. I always like to ask people who've seen this business from pretty much every level, and you've been at a high level for 30 years within this massive organization, still the president today because you have what it takes, clearly. Um, with this disruption, every, every time you turn around, it's what's going to get disrupted next? And we talked a little about that MLS disruption, and maybe Zillow's going to have this, and Redfin's over here, and there's billions, if not maybe hundreds of billions pouring into the tech space, and these agents are going to get disrupted. And you've been hearing that for mm-hmm. decades. Yeah. So has it even happened yet? And like, what, what's your take on it? Like you started off by saying it hasn't really changed that much the way we sell real estate. But if you watch the news, you'd think we're all going to disappear tomorrow and everyone's going to be fine. And they've been saying that as long as I've been in the business, they're coming over the hill. They're right. going to get you. The consumer buys and sells a house once now every 10 years. It used to be every seven years. It's not very often. Right. They don't understand the business. Yes, on the internet, they can get so much information, but they don't learn. They don't have knowledge. The agent brings them the, the knowledge that they need. The, um, the, the agent is the trusted advisor that they need to deal with the biggest um, purchase or sale that they've ever had, right? That's right. They, it's not like I'm going to sell my, resell my purse or, you know, a pair of shoes. It's my home. And so I don't believe that the disruptors who don't know the consumer 
I believe it's, and I also believe it's a relationship business. Yeah. So, um, the, those coming over the hill, whether it's technology, whether it's Zillow, whether it's whatever it is, um, the consumer, even in the past market, has used an agent close 95% of the time when houses would just sell like this. Anybody could sell a house. But they needed help in the details. They needed help in understanding the process. They needed help in making sure that their decision was a good decision. They need that trusted advisor. And so I think it's a, a relationship business. I think it's a human business. And I, and it's been this way forever, right? Uh, um, they always say, oh, the, you know, will we be paid? What's going to happen? It hasn't changed that much over the years. You know, commissions, yes, they've declined. But seriously, the consumer is willing to pay. Why? Because they feel they need your advice. And they don't want to do it on their own. Yes, they have all, they could go on the internet and learn so much, but they have full-time jobs and they have lives and it's not what they do every day. And it's a big, big purchase and they don't want to make a mistake. Yeah, I agree with that. I always say like, I wouldn't file my, with all these LLCs, I wouldn't probably file my taxes alone. I wouldn't go into a courtroom alone. Certainly wouldn't try to perform my own surgery or, or dental work alone. And typically this is the biggest asset a lot yes. of American families have and, and want to have. But there's also a lot of agents who probably don't. If you lined up all the agents, realtors in the United States, 1.8 million, I believe, it's somewhere around there. You pluck a random one out, you're probably not going to be impressed, no. Joan. No. You take 10 of them out, maybe you'd say, well, one of no. them I might, I might trust. I got to get to know them a little bit better. But the other nine you rule out. So that's a little dilemma. And it's like... Well, I think referrals. I think, I think referrals is the way to go. I think agents... You know, every, everybody looks for leads, and leads are important, and they're, they're an okay part of the business. And, and these people who go on to Zillow and just ask for a random agent, I mean, they might get a good one, they might not. But when, if you rely on personal referrals, whether you're um, doing the business or you have business for someone to do, I think that's, that's the way to go because you can, rely, you can trust the people that you know in your sphere to give you a name of an agent Right. That's a great agent. And as an agent, you should be working that, um, you know, the people that you know and, and helping, you know, asking for those referrals. Well, Joan, thanks so much for coming out. You're, you're a wealth of knowledge, and I look forward to learning more from you. Uh, and it's just a, a great uh, thing that we have you in the network, and I'm, I'm sure I'll be asking you some questions as, as the dust settles in, in my brain to find ways for you to help us, because I can tell you're a giver, and I'd love to... Uh, keep learning from you. So thanks so well, much. Thank you, Andrew, for inviting me. It's great to be here. Awesome. That's it. Until next time, the Real Estate Goldmine.